Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I'm keeping you on your toes, making you go to different places here for three weeks. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we're going to be looking at verse 9 today. And then I believe next week I'm going to start a series on those psalms that we looked at a couple weeks ago. I'm going to preach a series on the psalms of ascent, the songs they sang going up to the temple. So uh, that's Lord willing, we'll start that next week. We're still in this series, The Blessed Life, today, Be Real and Know God's Open Doors. It has to do with the will of God and knowing when God opens a door and closes a door and... Does he want me to do that or not do that? Does he want me to go there or not go there? We'll be talking about those kind of things today. First Corinthians chapter 16, look at verse 9 with me. For a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. We're just going to look at that one verse. A great and effective door is open to me, and there are many adversaries. If you have your notes today, number one, stay where you are until you know the open door is from God. We see this in verse 8. If you look back at verse 8, Paul says, I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost. And the word tarry means I will stay. And sometimes when you are looking for God to do something, he first of all teaches you how to stay and how to wait. Uh, we, we went through the book of Job some years ago. The big thing, if somebody asked me to sum up the big theme of Job and what did you learn from Job, was it all about suffering? And I would say no. What was it about? It was about waiting on God. And I come away with this, this, this theme of the book of Job. How long is too long to wait on God? How long is too long to wait on God? Will you wait on the move of the Lord? And a lot of people today aren't willing to wait. If God is going to do something mighty in your life, sometimes he asks you to wait for a long time before he ever does it, even sometimes for years. I could go through illustration after illustration of men in the Bible who God used greatly, who some, several, for more than 40 years waited on God and just stayed where they were or stayed faithful tending sheep or stayed faithful on the backside of the desert somewhere that you didn't even know who they were, but they were just waiting on the Lord's move. But then as we move into verse 9, we see that God does open a door in verse 9, a great and effective door. So uh, let's talk about God's open doors. We've already touched on this, but closed doors may precede open doors. If you know the context of verse 8 where Paul says he stayed in Ephesus, uh, you'd have to go back to Acts to get this context. I want to give you uh, some of the context from Acts chapter 16, verse 6 and 7. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. So Paul is trying to go through these two places. I know you don't know what they are. Just trust me on this. They are south from where he is. So he's tried to go south, and he says uh, they were for forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word there. Let's read on. And after that, they came to Mysia, and they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them to go that way either. And if you don't know what those two towns are, trust me on this, that was north. So he wouldn't let them go south, and he wouldn't let them go north. And they come to the place uh, that is known as Troas, and that's the context of these verses. If you put Corinthians with Acts, you would figure that out. They come to the place of Troas, and if you don't know much about Troas, Troas is a city port 
that is on the sea. It's on the ocean. So they couldn't go north, couldn't go south, and so they go this way, and they run into a dead end at the sea, and, and they're sort of stuck there like the children of Israel were when they were leaving Egypt, and they got stuck there at the Red Sea and didn't know where to go. That's where Paul is in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 when he says he's staying in Ephesus, he's got nowhere to go, and then all of a sudden in verse 9, there is an open door for him. So, so know this in your own lives. Many times, closed doors precede open doors. Also, this term open door is used many times in the Bible. It's not just used this one time. And so to be thinking about the will of God for your life or the direction of God for your life, God often uses these words open door. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul said, When I came to Troas to preach Christ and the gospel, a door was opened to me of the Lord. He also says in Colossians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, Pray for us that God would open to us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ. And he also, when he comes back from his first missionary journey, he calls together the church at Antioch and he wants to give them a report. And, and in Acts chapter 14, verse 27, he says, and, and when we had come, we had gathered the church together. They rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And so this terminology of an open door is something that is repeated often in Scripture in talking about the direction of God. In all these instances I just read to you, Corinthians and Colossians and Acts about the open door uh, being used, in all these instances, it was God who opened the door. That's very important. It was God who opened the door. Not you, not somebody else. In the United States, we actually praise people who open a lot of doors for themselves, don't we? In the United States, we do that. If you're, if you're a go-getter, you make things happen, and you can uh, sort of force or bully or manipulate your way in to opening doors. We actually praise people like that, maybe in the business world or, or whatever the case may be. When God called me to preach, I learned this lesson early on. Uh, because uh, when God called me to preach, a lot of preachers are, and y'all don't know this, maybe maybe you do, but a lot of preachers are manipulative. Do y'all know that? Uh, they, they can be. Not all of them, but they can be. I, so I try not to be manipulative, and, but a lot of preachers will invite themselves to preach at churches and, and say, won't you have me over to preach at your church, you know, especially if they don't have a church. And uh, I learned early on, I guess I did that, I don't remember where I did that, but I learned this lesson somehow early on. If I open the door and I get to go preach somewhere, if I open it, God might not go with me. <laughs> and I want you to know something, there's nothing worse than preaching without the power of God and the help of God when you're doing it. And so I would never invite myself, never ask, never never would say, please let me come, let me preach. I just The door had to be opened by God and God alone. In the Bible, they praise God for opening doors for them. They don't praise men. They praise God and say, God opened this door. So I want you to understand that as you go through life, spiritual opportunities are gifts from God. They're the direct interventions of the hand of God. So now we get into verse 9. For a great and effective door has opened unto me. 
First of all, he uses this word great. God opens a great door. In, in this context, the word great translated in, in the Bible is often translated in a lot of different ways. It also it always has to do with excess. In other words, if it was uh, talking about weight and it translated it as great, it would be something that was really heavy. If it was talking about large, it, was talk it would be translated as great, and it would talk about something that was really large. Or long, it would be really long. If it was talking about numerical things and it's translated great, it would talk about a, a number that has many in that number. Like it's, it's like a multitude. Uh, if it was talking about even emotions sometimes, this word great would be used in an emotional sentence to talk about intense emotions, mighty emotions, strong emotions. So this word, a great door, is, is kind of like saying a big door that's wide open. And one of the other ways that this word great is translated in the Bible, and I really like this, is the word loud. <laughs> it's sometimes just translated loud. And if God's going to open a door for you, and, and it's God opening the door, and you're supposed to go through it. I don't know about you, but I would prefer it be loud. <laughs> like, that God shouts it at me because I'm kind of slow at responding to the direction of God. I often say God has had to force me or drive me to do a lot of the things he wanted me to do. You could say he's had to drive me through a lot of the open doors he's opened for me. But in this context, when Paul says God opens a great door, he says it's loud it's big door. It's a wide open door. It's not just cracked. It's like slung open. And it would be evident to you that a great door has been opened. I want to just stop right there for just a minute and ask you to just, uh, where you're sitting there, to, to think about this and pray about this. Is God doing this in your life right now? Is, is there something he's doing in your life right now where he's opening a door and, and just... We're not going to pray together, but just while you're seated there, would you pray and say, Lord, if that's something you're doing, let it be loud to me. If that's something you're doing, let me know this is a door you open. If it's going to happen next week or next month or next year, let me know that it's wide open. Let me know that it's a door you've opened. Let me have eyes to see it. Let me hear it. Let it, let it be almost irresistible if that is something you're doing in my life in the days ahead. He says it's a great door, verse 9, and an effective door also. God opens an effective door. This word effective means active or powerful. I don't know if you remember a couple of weeks ago when I uh, did the part on application. Uh, one of my points in application was uh, the efficacy of Scripture. Remember we talked about that doctrine, the efficacy of Scripture. It means that God has the power to accomplish what he sent it to do. And we were talking about the word of God and how it is doctrinally effective. God accomplishes what he wants to with the word of God. And we looked in scripture how the word of God is compared to a hammer and to fire and to a sword and to rain. You remember this? And we talked about when we, he compared the word of God to rain in Isaiah 55. He said these statements, my word shall not return to me void but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing to which I sent it. And so this word, when he says God opens an effective door, King James translation I like about this, it's called an effectual door. It means that God is opening a door in your life, and he's going to 
have efficacy. He's going to accomplish what he wants to accomplish by opening that door for you. God is opening the door for you, and when you walk through that door, God's going to anoint you. His power is going to be evolved, and he's going to accomplish his will as you go through that door. That is, God will give his power to work through you as you go down that path that he's opening up for you to go down. Does that make sense? So I'll, I'll take this part of it as a great encouragement. If God's going to open for me a door, it's going to be loud and wide open, and now he's going to send his power with me so that the, the results of what happens when I go through that door are in the hands of God, not in my hands, not in my ability, but in God's power. That's a great encouragement to me. God's going to open an effective or an effectual door. Look what he says also in verse 9. Great and effective door has been opened to me and there are many adversaries. What you underline in your Bibles there, the word and. And there are many adversaries. Because often we want to put in the word but there. God opened this door for me but uh, there are a lot of adversaries, and we use it as if it is an excuse for you not to go through the door that God has opened. It says, and there are adversaries, which means with this open door, there are adversaries. There are going to be adversaries. I'm going to go into application real quick. If you uh, go there with me, try to apply this to your own life. What is your open door? What is the door that's so loud so wide open that you're supposed to walk through. For some of you, it may be salvation. It may be that you're here today, you're listening to this message today because you know that God's been working in your life and there's some emptiness inside of you and, and God's been drawing you to this place where you know that you need God in your life more than anything else. And the Bible teaches, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you just get along with God and say, Lord, I need you to save me, I want you to change me. I want you to rule my life and be the Lord of my life. But the Bible teaches that he is faithful to honor that request. Maybe your open door is a door to be saved. You've gone to church a lot of times. Or maybe you went to church a long time ago. But you need today to walk through the door of salvation and call on Jesus to be your Savior. Maybe your open door is spiritual growth. Maybe you have been just staggering in a place of complacency and distance from God for some while. And God's opening to you a door right now to, you know, to read his Bible more and to pray more. If, I, if, if you could say, John, what could you do to be a very successful preacher if you preached for 50 years? What could you do to be a very successful preacher? I'll give you two answers. If if through my preaching, people would read the Bible more and pray more, I would be most successful as a preacher. And so maybe this is a time for God. He's opening the door for you. He's, he's been uh, waking you up at 5 o'clock in the morning, or he's been not letting you go to sleep late at night. You just lay there, and you don't even know what to do, and you're getting up and doing crazy things in the night. He's opening up a door for you to read his word and pray uh, more than you have been in the past. Uh, maybe he's opening a door for you for ministry. When I use the word ministry, I'm, I'm speaking in the area of service. Some area to serve somebody else. I often experience this when, uh, when, when something goes wrong. 
Recently, I uh, uh, had a breakdown at the farm. I had to run to Henderson to get some parts for my tractor. If you know anything, if you're if you're working on something at the farm and you have a breakdown and you got to stop and then you got to go get parts, I, I just needed a bolt. That's all I needed was a bolt. I have lots of bolts in my barn. Couldn't find that bolt. Usually I can find that bolt. Couldn't find it. So I'm having to get in the car, drive 30 minutes away, stop what I'm doing to get a bolt so I can fix my problem. And on the way, I had a great opportunity of service. Uh, just while I'm heading there, a great opportunity for God to use me in somebody else's life. Often that's the case. That's an open door. You say, well, no, that was a breakdown. No, it was a breakdown for an open door. That's what it was. And to be able to have uh, the ability to see God's hand, even in something like that, that God is opening doors of service for you, it could be this afternoon while you're trying to get groceries. There would be an open door. And you can either say, uh, no, I'm too busy. I'm getting my groceries and I'm going home and taking me a nap. Because John preached a long time this morning. You're not going to say that because this is a pretty short one. But anyway, you, you could just say, no, I'm not going to do that. Or you can say, I see God's hand working in this. I wouldn't be here if I'm not supposed to help in this area. And you step in and do something. Not something you do every day. Not something you even do every week. But something that you can do that God has given you opportunity of some type of service. I think those kind of open doors, if you have eyes to see, are frequent, more frequent than we are sometimes aware of. Maybe your open door is a business opportunity. I, I hesitated to even put this one in there, but I think this one is the one that most people are praying about when they're praying about an open door. They're praying about what's God going to do with me financially, or, or should I buy this or not buy this, or should I take this job or not take this job. So I just want to talk to you about if it's an open door for something in business, remember some spiritual principles. Uh, let me give you three of them. God first, marriage second, children third, then business. Okay? So you say, what does that mean? I'll, I'll say it like this. There have been many times I've turned down making more money, going to a different job, over choosing to have time with my family. Many, if you're going to wait, I'm going to get time with my family or I'm going to get this other job. Biblical principle would teach you need time with your family. God wants you, honors time with your family. So balance that out. There have been many times I've chosen my wife over some financial gain or financial opportunity. So always remember things like that. It seems like some men will be in business their whole life. And it'll take them all their life to learn this simple biblical principle. God, marriage, family, business. And here's what they'll say. But I'm doing all that work for my family, right? They do what they say. I'm doing all that work for my family. Ask their family. <laughs> Ask the kids. Ask the wife sometimes. And then another open door I'm going to talk to you about is our church in the coming years. This church, Lighthouse Church. Uh, it's, it, it's kind of funny that I'm speaking about an open door for our church on one of the Sundays that we have a smaller attendance than we normally do because so many people are gone and so many people are sick, but it's just another test of our faith, isn't it? An open door of opportunity for our church is coming in the next several years. I don't know if you're aware of this. When I came to this area going on 30 years ago, that sounds like I'm old, but I'm not. <laughs> it was like uh, 28 years ago when I came to this area. I had previously worked for the, the DOT, the 
the, the State Department and highway construction. And so, uh, in particular, inspecting highways, our roads. So I knew how to get online and see what projects had been approved and what projects had been passed and what they were about to do. So when I came here, it was 1995, I got online and I said, what is Lewisburg? What's going on in Lewisburg? And I got on the Department of Transportation website and guess what I found? It had already been approved to, in 1995 to widen 401 from Raleigh to Lewisburg. And it was supposed to be done in 10 years, okay? This is a true story. So when God called me to this area, I'm on my knees praising God for calling me to this area because he's going to widen 401 in the next 10 years and there's going to be this huge influx of people and God's going to grow in Lewisburg a great and strong and powerful church. And here we are in 2023 and we are just probably weeks, maybe the way they're, right they're going now, I don't even know what they're doing out there now and I know highway work. I can't even see what they're doing, but maybe months, but certainly not another year <laughs> away from that road being completed. And I don't know if you think like I think about the church. I hope you do. How, how does that impact us as a church? Let me just say, there is more potential for us to reach people in the name of Jesus maybe in the next five years than there's been in the last ten years. Y'all agree with that? Everybody's shaking their head. That's the truth. There's People are coming. I was on 561 the other night going home, and I was behind 30 cars. And it wasn't a wedding. It wasn't a funeral. 30 cars on 561. People are coming this way, and they're coming. Look, y'all have always made fun of me for living in Alert. They're building houses in Alert now. <laughs> they, they haven't done that in years and years. For years, I was called the only guy who built a house in Alert, and now you drive through there. They're building houses out there. What's the point? The point is people are coming. And you as Lighthouse, you are Lighthouse Church. Not this building, not this place. You are Lighthouse Church. You are going to have more opportunities to meet new people and invite new people to church than you've ever had before. Do you see that? Do you have, do you have a vision for that? God wants to use our church to be a blessing to other families, to other pastors, to other people who've been hurt by church. To other people who've never known what it was like to go to church. God's going to use our church to minister to those people. And so this, this is an open door. That highway, it's, it's loud and it's wide and people are coming. And if you are here, God wants to use you in, in that process. You're not just sitting on the bench. You're on, you're on the field. You're in the game. And God wants to use you. And it'll be a conversation with a neighbor. It'll be a conversation in some parts store or bank around here or, or something around here where you have the opportunity to say, I know, I know a good church that loves the Lord where people love each other. And he, he can use you in the coming days, maybe like never before. It's an open door. What it, maybe it's something I didn't even mention. Maybe your open door is something you've been praying about before you came today. Something you've been asking God, is this something I'm supposed to do? And maybe through this message, he confirms that that is of his touch and his hand, or maybe he confirms it's not. I'll tell you this, I didn't want to preach this message this week. I fought this with everything I had. 
I didn't want to preach last week on money, and I didn't want to preach this week on open doors. But both weeks, I knew this is what I am supposed to preach without a doubt. And so maybe it's a door I don't even know about. I'm not even touched about. But you are sitting there today, and you've been considering, is this something I should do? Is God's hand in this? I hope God gives you direction as we go through this. Number two, an application. Know your adversaries. Because he said, there are many adversaries. You need to know who they are. If there are going to be many adversaries as you walk through this door, one of the greatest things you could have as you go through the door is an awareness of who are those adversaries. And so I want to give you the first one is you, yourself. It's you. If you have any kind of spiritual content whatsoever inside of you and you are saved, you know this. The greatest adversary that's ever going to come against you and harm you and lead you astray ever your whole life is you. If you've got spirituality, you know this. You've experienced this. Paul even says this. Paul, the greatest preacher that wrote much of the New Testament, this guy who we could follow him and say he is great. Even Paul knew this. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians 9. 26 and 27. He says, Therefore I run this way, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. He says this, I, I fight like a, like a boxer, and I beat my own body. I discipline myself to bring my own self into subjection, lest while I'm a preacher, I become disqualified. Paul, who was a writer of the New Testament, who was a great preacher, he also knew that his great danger lie within himself. That's why he was able to read right in that passage where he says, the things that I want to do, I do not do, and the things that I don't want to do, that I do. Because he understood full well the danger of his own self being an adversary. There are other kinds of ad adversaries. And they will come. When God's empowering you, He's giving you power to go through that door. Adversaries will just show up on the other side of that door. Some of them will be the enemies of God. People who don't like God, don't love God, don't want anything that God is for to happen. And they will fight you as if they're fighting God. They're not saved. They're not spiritual. They don't have a heart for God. They want to destroy everything that's godly and everything that's moral and everything that's right. And we're seeing that happen in our nation today. And if you've been the recipient of some of that ungodly attack, it is an attack on God, not an attack on you. And you need to be able to recognize that. They're coming after a holy God, and in the process, they're coming after you. And God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And if you study those scriptures, what it means is, as long as you don't take it into your hands to get revenge on them, then God says, I'll take it into my hands. He says in the context of that, if you want to take it into your hands, I'll let you have it. But if you'll leave it alone, leave it in my hands, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay them. God will not stand for those who come against his kingdom. Even the devil himself is not a, a fit opponent to the Lord because there's coming a day when the Lord's going to bind him and he's going to cast him in hell. 
don't think of hell as the place where the devil's going to be the king and he wants to rule there and it's going to be his little hell kingdom. That's not the way it is. The devil's going to hate hell worse than any other person who's in hell because it is his sentence of death. It is his sentence of destruction. And it is the place where God's going to bind him for all eternity as he loses as the enemy of God. And so there are going to be, again, some of you who walk through a door of service to the Lord where God is using you and God is power, has His power on you that some of the enemies of God will become your adversary. There's other adversaries you'll contend with. And these will be people who you love and even trust. This is where it really gets hard. Somebody you love and somebody you trust becomes your adversary. Somebody you thought was your friend and you care about them. And so because you thought they're your friend and you care about them, you listen to them. But they don't care about you. And they're giving you really bad counsel. I've known in churches, I've known this in churches, not our church, but in counseling context where parents of a teenager or adult child or telling them to go one way and then some man or some woman in the church would say your parents are wrong about that don't do that you 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 go on and go this way oh. <laughs> isn't that horrible that happens they they think they're right they're very sincere in what they believe that they're counseling a, uh, a child or an adult child to, to go a different way than the way their parents are training them or teaching them even worse than that, it might be somebody that you love deeply and they even love you, but they do not respect God's direction for your life. I'm getting really picky here, but I, I've seen this happen in recent days in the area of grandparents. <laughs> yeah, I'm saying sometimes grandparents can be an adversary. If you're trying to raise your children in a certain way and those grandparents don't respect the parents' decision you say, what, what, how would that happen? It would be, be this simple. A grandparent encouraging children by showing them movies, their grandchildren movies that they know their parents wouldn't want them to see. I heard recently of reading them books that they know their grandparents are reading the grandchildren books that they know the parents wouldn't want these children to be exposed to those books. Even going so far as teaching a defiant nature against the parents or a grandparent speaking ill to the grandchildren, ill about the son-in-law, or speaking ill about the daughter-in-law. I don't know about you, but I call that adversaries. Uh, even if you love them, even if they're your mom or your dad, or your husband's mom or dad, that's an adversary, creating discord in your family. And you need to be aware of it. You need to know who they are. I want to speak to this area of adversary with one final thought, and that is Paul's thorn in the flesh. I often quote these verses. I have it on the screen for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 10. Paul says, Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I want to give you an illustration. I take this illustration from Pastor Tim Keller. I don't often do this, but I, I get this illustration from him. If you didn't know this about me, Tim Keller, if you ever listen to him, he's one of my favorite preachers in the last 10 years. I, I listen to him often. Uh, he passed away recently. And uh, if you have Spotify or something, you can find his messages. They're, they're really good. Tim Keller. But anyway, he gives this illustration for the single people, for all the singles out there. I know we have some. They're not here today, but they'll, they'll hopefully listen to this. If there's a single person and they were trying to marry somebody, and that person said no. <laughs> they turned them down and said, no, I, I won't marry you. What you need to understand about this thorn in the flesh passage is, look at it again, he says, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. In other words, something bad that hurt, like poking a thorn in you, that hurts, was given to him. And he says, it's a messenger of Satan. Messenger of Satan. In other words, when this thorn came, this bad thing happened in your life, Satan attaches a message to it. Kind of like when you send an email and you attach a document to it, you put a little attachment to it. You get something bad in your life, and what Satan does is he attaches a message to the thorn, to this bad whatever it is. And so it's not the thorn that discourages you, but it's the message that Satan attaches to it that discourages you. We go back to the illustration from Tim Keller. If you're single and you tried to marry somebody and they said no, Satan's message to you would be, you're terrible, you're a failure, you're not good enough. He could even go further. Satan could say things like to you like women are terrible or men are terrible. Or he could even say, marriage is no good. You should never get married. Uh, these are the kind of messages that Satan would attach to that kind of form. But if you look back at the passage with me again, it says, concerning this thing, next sentence, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would depart from me. Think about that, what Paul is saying. I got this thorn in the flesh. I had messages attached to it from Satan, and three times I pleaded with the Lord. If you write in your Bible, write the side of that prayer. That's what that is. Three times he's praying and saying, Please, Lord, take this thorn away. I don't want this thing in my life. Look what it says. And the Lord said to me, My grace is sufficient, and my strength is made perfect. In other words, the Lord said to, to him when he said, Please, Lord, take it away. He said it three times. Please, Lord, take it away. Please, Lord, take it away. And the Lord said, no. <laughs> he said, no. I'm not going to take it away. I'm going to leave it there because he says two things. My grace is sufficient and my strength is made perfect in weakness. Let's look at them one at a time. He says his grace is sufficient. The word grace has to do with uh, his love for you, his favor on your life. And he uses this word sufficient. The word sufficient literally means to raise a barrier, 
to raise a high wall of protection so that you can't be attacked or get through it. Think about it like this. To raise a door, or you could say it this way, a closed door. He says, I take pleasure in you and in my grace, I'm going to, I wish somebody had me a kid running back there to slam that door. I'm going to just slam that door shut. You would walk through it if you could, but I will not allow you to walk through this door because my grace, my love for you, my favor for you will not allow this door to be opened. That's what the word sufficient means. It's going to be a high wall, a wall you cannot overcome, a wall you cannot cross over. And he says, my strength is made perfect. He tells you that in this thorn, there's something here that's going to actually make you stronger rather than weaker. It makes you stronger by seeing the power of God is resting on you. Look what he says. My strength is made perfect in weakness, therefore most gladly. Don't, don't, don't miss the, the joy in this. Most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest on me. He, he's, he's saying most happily I will brag about my infirmities because the power of God is resting on me. Go back to our illustration about the single. She said, no, the, the devil's whispering. Uh, you're terrible. You're a failure. You're not good enough. Marriage is no good. Women are no good. Men are no good. But he's prayed to God three times and said, take it from me. And God said, no. But then God's message, the devil's a messenger attached to the thorn, but God also has a message attached to the thorn, and don't miss it. God's message is, my grace is sufficient. In other words, I love you even though I closed the door. Even though I didn't give you what you want, I'm for you and I love you, and it's because I love you that I close the door, and as you do not get to walk through this door, I'm going to make you stronger for this and not weaker for this. You say, how strong are you going to make me? He's going to make you strong enough that one day you're going to take pleasure. Someday, maybe not now, but someday you're going to take pleasure in this door that God closed to the degree that you're going to brag about your weaknesses when you walk through it because you were able to see the power of God on your life while you walk through it. And so God's message to you is coupled with this thorn. He says his grace is sufficient. He closed the door. He is for you. He's making you stronger and stronger as you go through this. Same thorn. It's the same bad thing that happened. And in one instance, you're listening to the devil. And in the other instance, you're listening to God. You could say it this way. The same adversary in your life. And in one instance, you're listening to the devil. And in the other instance, you're listening to God. And so many times, it's not the thorn that hurts you. It's not the thorn that discourages you. It's the messenger that you're listening to as you're going through the thorn or through the terrible thing that's happened to you in your life. The question is, are you going to listen to Satan's message or God's message when 
when these adversaries show up. What about those adversaries? When adversaries arrive, there is a place to be found of rejoicing. Don't raise your hands, but think about if you could. Do you have some strong adversaries in your life right now? It is evidence. It is evidence that God has started something new in your life by opening a new door. And the presence of those adversaries is proof that the Spirit of God, remember that word effectual, is effectually working in your life. Now don't think the adversary started this. The adversary didn't start it. God started it by opening a door, an effectual door for you. God started this and then the adversary showed up because they saw God's power and God's work upon your life. And so in this initiation of the contention between God and your adversaries, it was initiated by God because He's the strongest and He's the most powerful and He's not haphazardly doing things. He's doing things with your life for His glory. And so it's in this place where you can now recognize the adversaries, know that if the adversaries are there, the presence of God is there and He's doing something mighty through your life. So in thinking like this, if that's where you are, you must strive to be more faithful now to God than ever because God is on the scene and God is at work and God is not finished. Don't listen to the devil and run and cower in the corner somewhere and stop being strong in the Lord. That's not, that's not what's to happen here. Remember, you're not getting weaker but stronger. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Oh, you're weak now. Oh, you're hurting now. I'm not saying you're not. But it's in this place where you're aware that the power of God rests on you and God's doing something through you that you must walk in faithfulness to God and see the power of God displayed on your life as you move forward even while adversaries attack you. God is on the scene and He's working through you. Let me ask you a question. Do you have the spiritual fortitude to have something really bad happen in your life. And you are able to see where God is at working, where God is working, even close the door that you wanted open, and you know you're able to see who your adversaries are, but you don't listen to them, and you don't listen to the messenger of Satan who tries to tell you how bad you are as you go through this and how much it's your fault as you go through this and how wrong you are as you go through this. That's why his name means the accuser. Don't forget that. He's accusing you. You didn't do enough. You weren't enough. You should have been better. You should have done more or that wouldn't have happened. That's the devil's message to you. Do you have a spiritual fortitude when that is going on to be able to see that the Spirit of God is at work and resting on you? Do you have the spiritual fortitude to be able to listen to the, the words of God, the answers of God, and walk through that door any way that God wants for you, knowing that the power of God rests on you? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I think sometimes we actually 
ball up in a corner and we crumble when this happens. But there comes a time when God teaches us in our life that this is the hand of God and this is the power of God. And, and we look at the end of this passage. He says, most gladly I'll rather boast in my infirmities that the power of God may rest upon me. He's always saying, I'll brag about it when bad, thing happen, bad things happen to me because I get the power of God resting on my life. And then look what he says next. Therefore I take pleasure. I actually enjoy it. Look what he says. When infirmities, reproaches, when I have needs, when I need something I didn't get it, when I have persecutions, people are talking bad about me, when I have distresses, the word distresses is like has a connotation of, of being beat or being cut in the midst of it. I've been hurt so bad it's like they cut me. I've been hurt so bad it's like they beat me. He says, when these kind of things happen, I take pleasure in them for Christ's sake. For I have learned this, when I am weak, then I am strong. It's when I am so weak like that and hurting like that and something bad like that is happening that I can see the mighty power of God and His grace is sufficient and He's making me stronger by His power on my life. In other words, you at your strongest, got you over here, at your strongest, you say, I was Miss Christian. I was Mr. Christian. I was at my strongest. I was almost religious. I, I could have went to a religious church and they would have thought I was all right. We're not one of those. They would have even thought I was good. I was at my best. That's you over here. You're strongest. Okay, you there? And over here, you're at your weak, weakest. You don't know which end is up. You're hurting. You're barely even praying. You're barely even reading your Bible. You're at your weakest. But the power of God rests on you. He's learned, to, he's learned to know this. That's when I'm at my best. <laughs> That's when I'm at my best over there. When the power of God's resting on me. So I say to you, for a great defective door has been opened to me, but there, and, there are, and there are many adversaries. If God opens a door for you in the days ahead, be able to see what God is doing and follow the Lord as you walk that that path or that road. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for that one who's listening to this message online or, or here today that needed this most, that you would just bless them right now where they sit, or where they stand. That they would understand the love of God and the faithfulness of God and that your grace is sufficient and that your power is made strong in weakness. And that you would be just worshipped right now. You would be given glory right now. Because it's in that place of worshipping you, Lord, that we, we are really confessing to you that we trust you. And we believe you. And we know that you're faithful, even though this bad thing happened. You're faithful, Lord. You're good, Lord. You're good, Lord. Father, we bless you today as a church. We praise your name. We thank you for Jesus. Father, if there's somebody here that needs to be saved, I pray that you'd call them today to walk through the door of salvation and ask you to save them. Lord, have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.